Hello there, I'm Nick Atkin, Chief Exec here at Yorkshire Housing, and you're listening to Raising the Roof podcast, the show that brings business leaders and also industry experts together to unpick the hot topics in housing and beyond. So today we're talking about life post the pandemic, and in particular, whether the revolution in how and where people work is calling for a bit of a fresh approach to businesses, particularly in respect of well-being and engagement. So joining me today are two guests who I've been really excited to get onto the pod because they bring some very unique knowledge and a a very different perspective. First up is Marie Jenkins. Marie is a well-being coach and a trainer, and you might know her from her um, Advance Your Wellbeing business, which she started back in February 2015, I believe, and that's helping people and housing organisations in particular improve their well-being and also personal development. Marie's a mum. She's a mum of three. And as a dad of three, you have my utmost sympathies. <laughs> also like me, she got a dog probably because the, the children were driving her mad. And her <laughs> dog is named after one of my favourite biscuits, Bourbon. So great to have you on. Marie has published her first book, Burnout to Bold. That went onto the bookshelves in October 2021. And if you haven't read it, it's a self-help book for people who perhaps feel a little bit unfulfilled in life and also suffer from anxiety. And not content with publishing one book, she's now writing her second book, which is aimed at teenagers preparing to start their chosen careers. A bit too late for my three, but I'm sure it'll be handy for those of you who have the joys of teenage children in your household. (laughs) Now, Marie is a podcast pro. She has her very own pod called The Secret Diary of Marie Jenkins 47. So, you know what it's like on this pod. We like to dig the dirt. We like to find out the things that most people don't know. So what don't you know about Marie? Well, she cycles and she cycles a lot. She cycles all over the UK. She takes part in bike tours every year, often to raise money for charities like the British Heart Foundation. And her biggest challenge to date was cycling 500 miles from Worcestershire to, to Land's End. Interestingly, she did this alone whilst camping along the way. Why anybody chooses to go back to the 15th century of living is beyond me. And I think the only reason she did this was because some people will do anything to avoid a holiday with their kids. Um, so alongside Marie, we have Kerry. Now, Kerry Cooper. Now, this is real proof that we reach far and wide on this podcast. Kerry was, was born and raised in West Hollywood in, in L.A., he started out as a as a social worker in downtown LA and Watts in South Central LA, for, for those of you who know the area. And whilst doing his MBA degree in behavioural sciences at UCLA, Kerry met a visiting professor from, from Leeds Uni, of all places, who invited him to, to come back to God's own country to do his PhD. And that kicked off his academic journey and also his, his love of Yorkshire. Kerry is the co-founder of Robertson Cooper. That's a team of, of wellbeing specialists and business psychologists. And he's really passionate about creating good days at work for everyone and everywhere. And how can you possibly argue with that? Now, his list of things that he's done is like just something that puts me in complete awe. He's a 50th anniversary professor of organisational psychology and health at the Manchester Business School. And I think it's fair to say he is very much a recognised world expert on, on well-being. He is a busy fella, so that's why we're really glad to have him on today. He's a past president of Relate, 
the clinical advisor to Anxiety UK, the president of the Institute of Welfare, the president of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and the past president of the British Association for Counselling and Psychology. And he was also the founding editor-in-chief of the Journal of Organisational Behaviour. So I've got to be quick, because obviously he's a busy guy and he'll be running off to do something else. But what do you really want to know about him? Well, unlike Danham School that I went to in the Costa del Doncaster, Carey's High School in, in LA had numerous celebs there. So including the likes of Demi Moore and the infamous also Phil Spector. And his sister was also an actress in TV and film. Is there anything this guy hasn't done and anybody he doesn't know is, is beyond me? So there's our guests. So let's get cracking. Let's get into the issues with a, with a quick view back to that dim and distant memory of COVID and lockdowns. And I, I think my first question really is, since we've come out of the pandemic, what are some of the best examples the two of you have seen of a, a positive work culture that's really created a sense of community and engagement in the workplace? Kerry, I'll come to you first. Okay, I think in a funny sort of way, the pandemic really helped the kind of well-being movement, if you want to call it that, because, you know, what happened, and we're all thrown together in, in really life-threatening circumstances. Before we had the vaccine, that first year, 2020, you know, we were all vulnerable, very vulnerable. Look how many people died during that period of time before the vaccines occurred. And we were working 100% remote. We were locked down or we were in different tiers or, you know, it was a nightmare, nightmare yeah. time. What I think that did for us, aside from ultimately leading to flexible working, hybrid working and the rest of it, because we could see we could work partly from home, partly from a central office, which people have wanted for a decade before that hit. Yeah. But I think what was even more important, strangely enough, is we used to go on, you know, on Zoom meetings and during that period of time. And you started to learn about people. Oddly enough, people were sharing personal things they wouldn't have done pre-COVID. <laughs> I remember all the meetings started with, does anybody in your family have COVID? Oh, yeah, my uncle just died of it. Uh, and you got that and you got and you got to know and my daughter is feeling really depressed she's not at school i'm having trouble with homeschooling she's very low do you know what i mean we got uh, people talking about their health about their concerns about for example if they were furloughed off for the a long period of time during the pandemic would they get their job back yeah. Uh, will the economy see so badly affected that we'll all lose our jobs? I mean, there'll be massive unemployment. You know, there was, and people were freely talking about, plus dogs came in, kids came in <laughs> during it. If you think about, if you think about what happened, it, funny enough, it became more personal than it used yeah. to be. When we went into an office, we played a rollout. We rarely talked about personal things unless you were really close to somebody at work. And we were sharing a common fear, concern, worry. We all did. And I, I thought I got a lot closer to my colleagues. I got closer to my neighbors than I ever have before. Because yeah. we used to meet outside on a Thursday, applauding the nurses, having a drink of wine, of course, socially distancing. But, <laughs> but we did that. And I got really close. We developed a whole community here subsequent to that. So in a funny sort of way, and I think in the workplace, what, what ended up being better for all of us was we also, managers were told, you know, be concerned about your direct reports. 
be worried about him. So try to keep in touch with him, not just in a meeting, yeah. but off off piste. In other words, go one to one. And that happened a lot. And I had to do that with various people at the university who I was kind of worried about people who had underlying health conditions or I think would be stressed out by being locked down and all that. So I think somehow managers never did one-to-ones before that in the sense of talking about them as what their lifestyle, what was going on with them during the pandemic. Were they worried? Were their kids okay? Da 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 da, da. All of those kinds of issues. So I think that was the stimulus to the change we're beginning to see. I mean, what are we talking about now? We're talking about the four-day working week, yeah. right? That's really prevalent now. Everybody's working hybridly. I mean, the, you know, you're going in two, maybe three days a week, but nothing more than that Yeah, where you can. And we're talking about the role of, you know, how do we create the right kind of culture in our organization? How do we do it? How Well-being has now become a strategic issue for businesses to ensure that they retain and attract good people, and particularly the millennials and the Z generation, the young millennials and Z. So I think I'm not going to point to any one organization, but there are a lot out there doing good things. Yeah. I run the National Forum for Health and Wellbeing, made up of 44 global employers, HR directors, chief medical officers, director of health and wellbeing. They're going very strategic on this now. It's no longer, you know, beanbags, you know, sushi at your desk, mindfulness at lunch stuff. It's no longer hanging for low hanging fruit. This yeah. is how do we make this strategic? How do we retain our people, get the most out of them, value them and everything else? So we've seen big, big change in this space. Yeah, and I and absolutely echo that. And I think certainly it was really brought home to me the other week. I ended up selling most of my shirts on Vinted because actually the, the way people dress when they're, when they're in work now is completely different as well. So I think everything has been turbocharged as a result of that. So, Marie, let me come to you next. I agree with a lot of what Carrie says. And for me, the pandemic, although I understand, you know, for a lot of people, it was a challenge. I also think that there was loads of opportunities for people during that time to completely upskill how they work as well as the organisations, it's given lots of fantastic opportunities in terms of, Carrie mentioned there about strategies, organisations embedding wellbeing strategies as a result of that time, which is absolutely incredibly inspiring for those organisations that have took that forward. Now, I would at this point give Yorkshire Housing um, <laughs> the credits because they're philosophy around remote working and hybrid working is something that I think is truly inspirational and hopefully we'll be looking at you guys for best practice in terms of how they can roll that out to other housing associations in the future. The other thing that Carrie alluded to was about their relationships with their staff. So for me, it's about those positive manager relationships. You know, how can you maintain them? How can you improve on that? So things like transactional analysis, training, upskilling the managers so that they can have those better relationships with their staff. And when I say transactional analysis, for those people that sort of may have heard of it, it's about parent, child and adult relationships. And it's about how you can have those 
positive parent relationships with your team because it's about respecting and listening to your teams and also i'd say like emotional intelligent workforce now some people might think what is emotional intelligence in the workplace and that is about building better first rate cultures which is what housing associations do extremely well in terms of empowering their teams but i think there's in some parts there are areas that we could improve on that and just to just the final note about how you can engage with your communities corporate social responsibility there's lots of opportunities there as well in terms of when i worked in housing we used to do a day a year where the team could initiate their own projects with their communities so that it gets them recognized in the communities that they serve and that just builds better relationships so that sort of touches on the emotional intelligence not only within your organization but with your customers and your tenants and residents in the community yeah there's some some great points in there as well marie so thanks for that and the five is in the post as well for the mention for yorkshire houses so thanks for that as well <laughs> both of you have, have sort of touched on on one of the areas where i, I wanted to sort of pick up on Certainly for me, one of the positive things that's come out of the pandemic has, has been a, this revolution in where and also when and how people work. And Marie, you referenced, you know, the fact that resetting some of that relationship, you know, many organisations still operate a bit of a parent-child type type relationship with our colleagues. And actually, you know, my view is that it should be more sort of adult to adult. But this this revolution is still happening. And Kerry, I think you sort of said that, you know, this is still sort of washing through. So... As that is still happening, what's your advice? How can organisations and colleagues set boundaries? And and particularly, I'm really interested in how you prioritise self-care to prevent burnout and and also maintain a healthy work-life balance. Because if you are now, if if, the boundaries between home and and work-life have very much sort of been blurred, and that's positive, but it also has a significant risk attached to it. So any tips, tricks, advice, either for individuals or for for employers in terms of how they can help keep keep their colleagues sort of safe and well. So, uh, Marie, I'll come to you first on this one, if I can. It's a great point there you've made, Nick, in terms of setting boundaries, especially for those people that are hybrid working. I did a series of blogs on my LinkedIn. There's an eight eight part series on homeworking. And my part four actually was specifically on boundaries because it's so important for people's well-being if they're working from home, you know, this is where sort of staff surveys come in. Is it working for them? For some people, they find that they can be more productive working from home, whereas others, they feel isolated. So I think it's important to keep the dialogue going in terms of how is it working for them? Are they setting the right boundaries? Are they sort of giving themselves specific times in which they work, be it whether it's, you know, they're more productive in the morning working early some people work better on an evening Um, and when they're working from home who's to say whether it has to be a nine to five model it's when they're most productive i think is is an important thing but understanding what they are for yourself if you're doing that sort of hybrid working is important yeah and and it is interesting isn't it because i i sort of during the pandemic i looked into a bit of this as we were, we were sort of thinking about our own journey 
And I, I came across the fact that the nine to five was in effect pretty much invented by Henry Ford in 1926 to to help the production of the Ford Model T at the time. And so this is a relatively new concept. And as such, it's been structured around getting people together at a time when we didn't have the internet, when we, you know, we worked in a very different way to to be more cost efficient, really, in terms of a production line. So the, the fact that, you know, many of us still think about a nine to five when we're not involved in producing the Ford Model T, is in itself uh, an, an interesting sort of challenge. Kerry, let me come to you then. Any thoughts from you on this? Well, I think what, what Marie did was focus in on the individual. Let me focus in on the organization because that's where I do my work. We have to change the culture of businesses. And it's becoming, as I said earlier, a bit more strategic. What I mean by that is most organizations, I don't care what's, uh, I mean, obviously the SME sector is slightly different than the the big medium or the big companies or big public sector bodies or third sector organizations. But I think we have to have somebody who's responsible for health and well-being at work. Many of the big companies and uh, the public sector bodies like government departments, local authority, hospitals have a director of health and well-being now. The NHS, for example, I don't think people know this. The NHS is the only organization in the country that actually has a non-executive director on the board of every hospital now, started about nine months ago. And that person's responsible for health and well-being of employees. The only organization. Now, the private sector has looked at that and is saying, maybe we should be doing that. Yeah. All right. But for me, here's what I think you need. And you need to change culture. If you're going to change culture, you have to have the metrics to measure how good you are. What the hell are you doing? What is uh, and the metrics means subjective and objective. So subjective are employee satisfaction measures, their perception of how they're managed, their perceptions of the hours of work, their perceptions of the communication systems in the business, you know, et cetera. Uh, how open, how engaged is the organization? Their perceptions of all those. So we need that information on a regular basis. And we need whoever's responsible for it at a senior level to take note of it. Then we have objective measures like, are people leaving? Labor turnover, are people going? If they're going, that's not a good indication that you're not delivering something there. So what is it you're not delivering that people wanna leave you? So sickness absence rates, stress-related sickness absence rates, most organizations now do that who who have any scale, you know, where they have HR. It's much more difficult for micro businesses and and the really small businesses, but nevertheless, you should be. So if you have those metrics, then they, the organization, the senior leadership team, whoever that is, that group that manage the business, no matter how big it is, can say when they meet on a regular basis, every day, they meet once a month and they look at it and they say, God, we're losing a lot of people. You know, what's going on here? Let's do it. Look at the person who's responsible is telling us we got a problem. And we're seeing job satisfaction start to decline. They used to be 8.5 on a 10-point scale. We're now seeing them at 7. So I think we need that for starters. So we need the infrastructure of somebody who's responsible for it. Listen, we have people responsible for marketing. We have people responsible for sales. We have people responsible for operations. Why don't we have people, somebody responsible for employee health and well-being? If we keep hearing the BS that the most valuable resource we have is our human resource, <laughs> and nobody ever, the only way you can actually do that is action it. So you have to have the metrics for that. So that's yeah. one. Then you have to have a strategy by 
asking employees how they perceive everything. How do they perceive the whole damn show? You know, what are their perceptions and in a safe way getting their view? Employee surveys do that. Well-being audits, because my University of Manchester spinoff company, Robertson Cooper, which I sold last year, we were in business for 20 years doing well-being before well-being was even used as a word wow. in organizations. Now, what we did is we developed a psychometric tool to get employee voice on all aspects of their health and well-being. You name it, we've done it. And it was published in the literature. So it's a proper one. It's not Carrie Cooper doing 10 items and saying, well, you know, are you happy here? No, it's done properly. So we need employee voice because unless you know how employees, on a regular basis, finding out from employees a couple times quarterly, a couple times a year, finding out how they're seeing things because things change, you know, in yeah. that part of the business, they may have a bullying culture. You identify it and you do something with it. Another part, it's a long hours culture. Another part, there's a glass ceiling for women. Women don't feel they can get advanced, therefore they leave. You need to do that kind of stuff. That is good practice. And I think probably one of the major things that my national forum has come up with and says is the real big, if there was only one thing you can do to improve the well-being of an organization, big and small, is to make sure Anybody who's in the management role in that business has good EQ, emotional intelligence, social skills. The problem we have in all businesses in the developed world is this. We promote somebody based on their technical skills, not their people <laughs> skills, to a managerial role. We yeah. promote them to it and recruit them on a technical skill. Yeah. And who causes you more aggravation in your life than your boss? Or yeah. who is the best mentor for you? And who develops you and motivates you more than your boss? Nobody. So the boss is critical. And the problem we have is we don't have enough line managers from shop floor to top floor in all organizations who have good social interpersonal skills. So in the future, we have to recruit people where there's parity between their people skills and their technical skills. They have to know about housing, but bloody hell, they better be good at how they treat people, develop teams, etc. Would you say people should be more focused on behaviours and values rather than skills in terms of the recruitment process? No, I mean, no, no, I think what is important is, let's say they, number one, have to have a technical skill. So if you're trying to market something on housing, right, you need somebody who does marketing and sales and all that stuff, right? Yeah. All right. So you need somebody who has those technical skills. But you, when you, if they're, if they're in a managerial role and they're responsible for other people, then they have to have good people skills. That's EQ, yeah. emotional right. intelligence. Yeah. That's what's more important. Yeah. So when you recruit them, spend time. Don't do it quickly. Make sure you look at that aspect. You can find out about their their technical skills dead easy from their yeah. past jobs, or you're promoting them within. And so you know that they have those skills. Don't pro them, promote them within if they don't have good people skills. May, they may be the greatest marketeer in the world, but managing other marketing people is a different role. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great point you make about how we promote people who are good at their job based upon their skills and competency rather than their emotions. Absolutely. So, and and, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's the critical thing. Yeah. Marie, can I bring you back in on this? I, I know you've done a lot of work in this field. So, yeah, is there anything else you want to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. And 
it's quite topical really because it's been in the news most recently about housing as a profession having mandatory training for their staff but the point that i want to make is about retaining and keeping your staff and i listened to your recruitment podcasts just the other day and and it alluded to this is about when you're looking at retaining and keeping your very best talents promotion isn't always the only answer so you know there's moving sidewards i mean we all know that housing has got lots of opportunities for personal growth and yes succession planning is important but also those individuals might have interest in other areas of the business so it's not always about having to climb the ladder it's about looking at other areas within your organization that might value having a fresh pair of eyes brought into the team from a different perspective and they can then learn and upskill in that area because that's what keeps things fresh for organizations improves teamwork across the board to reduce silo mentality so for me that's my key point is look at side movement of your teams as well as promotion yeah, it, it was one of the reasons that I asked Kerry about the, the, the sort of recruiting for skills or attitude, really, because I think certainly in Yorkshire Housing, we're looking at um, how we can have perhaps more generic roles. So rather than pigeonholing people into a very, very sort of silo type bit of the business to sort of say, well, actually, your ability to to deal with a customer, whether that be internal or external, is pretty generic. You know, your, your, your ability to interact and your ability to sort of empathise as well as well as get things done is pretty much a, a generic skill so you know it's it's the age-old debate isn't it of specialist versus generic sort of roles in any business but i, I think it's it's quite a live one at the moment both of you interestingly have, have mentioned employee surveys and metrics as well and and it was one of the other areas i wanted to sort of really try and unpick because i think employee surveys are great and i know kerry you said you should be doing those regularly perhaps every quarter but there's particularly for large organizations, there's quite a significant cost to that. There's also colleague fatigue in terms of submitting those those responses and also some degree of skepticism about whether they are confidential or not, even though we know they are. So I suppose, have you seen or, or have you got any tips or tricks for organizations in terms of how they can not only use colleague surveys, but probably how you get more real-time insight so for example one one quick example i shouldn't share this really but i know when one of our colleagues is actively looking for a new job because they connect with me on linkedin and it's really interesting because people only connect on linkedin really for one or two reasons one they're either wanting to come and work for you or what two they want you on their connections because they're looking to move on and and so i suppose there's some more subtle ways sometimes of sort of picking up the people are, are perhaps on, not happy or are looking to, to move on to their next role. But just, just any thoughts really on how we can get real-time insight in terms of how people are feeling, you know, the, the, the temperature check of a business. And I appreciate this differs from large and small, and you might want to give different examples, but anything you want to give. Maria, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because staff surveys is just one way. I mean, that's more formal method of capturing but the most insightful way of doing this is the informal 
you know, those regular conversations, those conversations at the water cooler, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's those sort of conversations and it's all down to the culture of your organization. You know, the, the teamwork, the ability to sort of, right. Okay. This is what they're saying. What can I do and feed that up through the gold thread of your organization. So I'd, I'd say it's more look at the informal methods as well and have a better stream both from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom and across the organization as well. So like, for example, having working groups, say there's a certain project your organization's working on. It might be that you want to have a cross section from all over your organization. Those are the way that you can build better cultures. And also you can get insights as to, you know, does John want to look at finding somewhere outside the organization? Is there anything we can do because it's a really good talent to keep him with the business? Yeah. Or is it better that you have that exit strategy for him to support him onto his next journey? Because, you know, you might work in housing. I worked in housing for a number of years and now I'm doing my own business and it's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. you know, there might be bigger and better things outside housing, although we do really want to keep the talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm blocking blocking this podcast for anybody in Yorkshire housing after what you've just said there, Maria. I don't want uh, don't want people leaving, starting their own business. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep those good people. Kerry, can I come to you? Same same sort of theme, really. We try when I was at Robertson Cooper, we, we did something really interesting. What we did, we had a, a remote workforce nationally with an organisation. And what we did is we created an app on the on the mobile phone. And you know what we did? This is a big organization nationally. And you know what we did? We had them, we put a little what a pulse survey, like right on the phone, a little dial system. Yeah. How are you feeling now? What what's going on? Are you feeling low? Are you do you feel less resilient? Do you feel uh, exhausted? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Very simple. Literally, you filled it in within thirty seconds yeah. to a minute, and it went back to a central place. And you could look at what was going on over a period of time. That's real time. That's yeah. in real time. We're going to get more of that, by the way. I remember once going into a head office of a major company, and what was very clever what they did. What they did is they were trying to find out, you know, the uh, the emojis, the yeah, face, the smiley yeah. face, the low face. And you went into the lift and they had a, like a computer on the wall of the lift and you hit the emoji that you were feeling when you left the day. Oh, right. Okay. As yeah. you're going back down yeah. the lift, you yeah. hit the emoji. I'm, I'm really low. And they collected that data up and they found like over a week. On the second floor, the people who were in marketing or whatever it was, I can't remember what it was, they were the ones who were feeling a bit low. And they then say, they collect data for a whole week. And why are they different than the people on the third and fourth and fifth floor? Yeah. Let's try to find out. So the point I'm trying to make is you can do it and you can do increasingly in real time. You know what's going to end up happening? This is the future. The future is that you're going to have clothing that will measure your blood pressure and other things oh, in real yeah. time as you're going on, you know, as you're doing your daily work. We have uh, at Manchester University is, you know, we have a Nobel Prize winner who developed graphene. Yep, yep. Graphene is a, a fantastic material and he got a Nobel Prize for it. And you can create 
out of graphene, you can create clothes, shirts, and sweaters and things like that, which will ultimately be able to measure your heart rate and everything else in real time. So I think the future will be more real time rather than employee surveys, and it'll be much more physiological yeah, and yeah, more, yeah. but then we can do it psychologically by using the mobile phone, how you're feeling and reflecting your feelings on a mobile phone. But, you know, again, that's probably for bigger businesses. That's the, but it, it'll come to everybody, I think, ultimately. But you are right, because, you know, doing it once a year, you need the base rate, but doing it just once a year or even twice a year doesn't get the subtlety of what we all experience with massive change and quicker change over periods of weeks and months. Yeah, spot on and you know, a great insight in terms of where the future's heading. So clearly my tactic of disposing of my shirts on Vinted was a good one because I need to replace them now with some graphene, uh, graphene jumpers and shirts. Absolutely. So you know, you've heard the future here first. Um, <laughs> Talking of the future, can I can I look ahead now and just very quickly, really, I suppose, what what do you think the focus or the themes will be for the next sort of 12 months in workplace well-being? Kerry, come to you first. Okay, I think the four-day working week, definitely. You've seen yeah. the results from the 61 companies. 95% of them have said they're going to carry on with a four-day working week. The evidence was clear anyway from Sweden, Iceland, New Zealand, tons of other studies which they've done, which were even longer than the UK six-month one. The Swedish one in Gothenburg was two whole years where they took wow. half the, all the employees working for the city of Gothenburg. Half of them were put on a 30-hour week, half of them on a 40, and the 30 was more productive, more job-satisfied, less sickness, absent days. <laughs> so even they, you know, it, we've known this a while. Yeah. So I think the changing, that's one aspect, the changing uh, nature We've already changed to being more hybrid. So we've done that already. We're in that now. And that will continue. Although, let me say one thing that I am worried about in the future. We're going into a major recession. We're in it. The UK is in it. Germany is already in it. So it's not, you know, the US isn't, but it will do because they trade with these with us yeah. and Germany and the rest of it. So we will have a global recession over the next year or two. Cost of living crisis, Ukraine still going on the war. Okay, my worry is will employers who were keen on well-being because it retained uh, talent retention was a driver for that. But now as they go in and they say to themselves, oh, we have to cut costs. So let's cut there. And that's my worry. My real worry in the future is for those organizations that don't see the evidence that a well-being culture actually increases productivity, reduces stress-related ill health and mental ill health, which is the leading cause of sickness absence. 57% of all people who are off on long-term sick, HSE calculated, are off with stress, anxiety, and depression not muscularly it's the biggest but it's not just in the uk this every developed country in the world the leading cause of long-term sickness absence at work is for what we call the common mental disorders of depression anxiety and stress 25 percent in the uk is for musculoskeletal backache and those kinds of problems so we have a problem here yeah and my worry is that you get some dinosaurs at the top of organizations who say oh let's forget that health and well-being employee health and well-being stuff 
let's get everybody back in the office five days a week. We're going to reduce our, our headcount. We can't, we can't afford that. You can't afford not to do that. You really cannot afford it because you will burn people out. You will get less productivity because people will be not motivated. So that's the future I worry about. Yeah. But the positivity is I know from my national forum of 44 global employers, including the NHS executive, the BBC, they're all on it. And, you know, the big names, you know, the BTs and the rest of it. Okay. Those organizations are, they're going to stay with it. Yeah. And they, because they've seen the bottom line. They've seen, yeah. hey, forget it. It's not just good PR. This delivers. Absolutely. And and this brontosaurus um, at the top of the Yorkshire House, it absolutely agrees with you on that. Um, we've invested <laughs> heavily in well-being, we'll continue to do so. Uh, but we've just seen a massive, massive benefit in terms of that whole shift to a truly flexible working. All our colleagues are, are home-based and we just get them as adults to choose when, yeah. where and how they work. You know, they, they, they know better than we do. We, they know up, what Nick. they need to That's achieve. the future. That is it the is. future. I yeah. hope that the recession doesn't turn some people off, but I some organizations off. I think the ones that will be turned off are already off. They're the organizations that say you have to be in five days a week, for example. Yeah. Yeah, so I can I, think I, of an investment bank where a chief executive said that. I'm sorry, we there's no flexible working allowed here. And they don't get the good talent. Nobody wants to go work for those dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. And and in some ways, that's great because organizations like Yorkshire Housing are able to scoop up really great people. So uh, yeah, right. bring, bring it on. <laughs> uh, Marie, over to you. I want to just expand really on what Carrie's just said about uh, the cost of living crisis, because that has huge implications on people's well-being. Yeah. So for me, the future focus, I'm thinking housing associations and employers would be looking more at what they offer in terms of their employee assistant programs, adding in financial support there so that they can scoop up people and help them in terms of budgeting, etc., looking at their cost of living themselves, because that does impact on people's yeah. well-being massively. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. And it's a great opportunity, actually, at this point to go and look at your employee assistance programs to see if they're fit for purpose. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, what I think is going to happen, is we've we've talked a lot about cultures today and emotional intelligence, but I think that is becoming even more prevalent now. Having those emotionally intelligent teams, making sure that the managers understand what it is to be emotionally intelligent. You know, when somebody first mentioned what it was to me when I had my poor mental health, I mean, it completely transformed my life to ha have that understanding of what emotional intelligence is and it helped me in my business. So I'd say emotionally intelligent teams, reviewing employee assistance programs are two key priorities. And then to build on the first mental health first aiders in the workplace, I'd say having workplace wellbeing relationship champions, whereby you're buddying up with your colleagues or you have working groups that can help implement your strategies. So those are my three that I think are, are going to sort of be more prevalent over the next 12 months and beyond. Thanks very much for that, Marie. Time, as always, is against us. So quick fire question just to end this podcast. Can I ask each of you, what's your top tip? 
for the listeners today in terms of their own personal well-being? What's your one top tip? What one thing perhaps works best for you in terms of your own well-being? Kerry, I'll come to you first if I can. Okay, I, I think it's about the family. If you have family, invest in your family. Don't work long hours. The evidence is clear. You can work consistently on long hours. You will get ill. Jobs aren't worth it. Invest in your family. Spend time with them. That's really, really important. And the other one I think is important. Most of our problems come from our relationships with other people. Be kind. Just be kind. That you'll be nice good. to other people. It'll pay off because you'll have less conflict and less ill health. Yeah. And and karma. What goes around comes around, doesn't it? It's absolutely, absolutely. Maybe it's just an age thing, but yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. What a, what a great way to end things on. Marie, come to you for your top tip. Well, my top tip is the five ways to well-being model. That's what helped me completely transform my life. And of course, I'm a cyclist <laughs> and I've already set my challenge for this year. I'm hoping to cycle another 500 miles around the north coast of Scotland. So that's this year's challenge. So I'd say get a bike. <laughs> Get a bike and get rid of the kids. Is that, is that the top tip? <laughs> uh, um, well, you heard it here first. Graphene is going to be the new clothing. And uh, if you want to get a break from your kids, get a bike. They're, they're the two <laughs> top takeaways from, from this podcast. Unfortunately, it is now time to close the door on, on this particular episode. A massive thank you to, to both of our guests. And equally, a huge thank you to all of you, the listeners, for choosing to, to tune into this episode. Please do remember, we've got all the previous episodes from both Season 2 and also Season 1. They're available via your usual podcast providers. Our next episode is all about regulation, so please remember to hit that subscribe button to ensure you don't miss a thing. But for now, thanks very much for listening, and see you very soon.